Hi, welcome to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger. It is great to be with you in the year 2021. And I am hopeful that the year 2021 will be better than the year 2020. That's not going to take a lot to beat. Thank you all realize that and have your own reasons for looking forward to a new year. I am joined today with special guest, Troy Lydiot. Did I say that right, Troy? You did. You nailed it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we are glad to have you with us, man. And uh, we're going to jump into, in a moment, to hearing more from you and about your story. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about is uh, we are announcing that you have joined the Apologetics Canada team and will now be a regular part of the AC podcast. So I feel like I just need to say, you know, not only welcome to the show, but welcome to Apologetics Canada. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm honored to uh, be part of the team and uh, do what I can to help us grow and help us push forward and just be part of the conversation. I, I guess maybe I should say a couple things here. Uh, one is Troy and I first met this last year in March at the Apologetics Canada Conference. Uh, you'll remember the conference, by the way, because it was like the last event to take place in the world. Uh, it, was, <laughs> <Yeah>. it, was, <laughs> it was like literally one of the last things to happen in 2020 before the whole world shut down. And you and I met uh, at the conference. You you did some spoken word, and as well, you had uh, a number of different sessions at the conference. In particular, we had Terry uh, that was interviewing you on the main stage, yeah. and you really came at things from an artistic perspective. Uh, so that that's where we first met, and ever since that time, you know, we, you know, we've still stayed connected. And with regards to Terry. With him stepping down from Apologize Canada, he's off doing his own thing now. We were we we were always thinking, okay, how are we gonna how are we gonna replace Terry? You know, and what's our next move gonna be? And and it was just interesting during that time because as I was praying about it, the Lord just kept bringing you back to mind, and so it, it's been neat to see kind of how this has gone full circle. I feel like I'm already getting ahead of myself because we're gonna jump into that story more in a moment. Before we do though, uh, listeners, I need to take a moment. Mm to just say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who have been supporting us financially and prayerfully over the years. We have just felt so much love and support uh, over these last couple months. As many of you have known, and I apologize, you've heard you know, for the last couple months as we've been promoting our matching campaign. This was a campaign that was presented to us Back in October or something, we had a, a supporter that said, hey, listen, we, we want to do a matching campaign of $100,000. And I thought, that's very generous of you, but the odds of us raising $100,000 are very slim. And I had very little faith that that would happen. But after praying about it and thinking about it, we said, okay, yeah, let's do it. You know, we're, we're thankful and we want to give this a go. And it was amazing over these last number of months just to see as support just came in from across Canada. We had many people that were supporting us, and it was very cool to see how many supporters we have across Canada. And along with the financial support, 
we received a number of letters and emails from you listeners. Uh, I just want to say thank you for that. You know, sending your support it was amazing, but also sending your encouragement. Uh, I can't voice enough how much that means to us. You know, sometimes when you're doing a podcast, it's difficult to see that there's human beings that are that are listening to this and being encouraged by this. Many of you told us about how your faith has been encouraged and strengthened through this podcast. Uh, I got to give a shout out to a 19-year-old who wrote us a, a, an incredible letter and is supporting us monthly. It was just so encouraging. You know who I'm talking about. You gave us a, a profile of a listener uh, in your letter, which was fantastic. I just want to give a shout out to you. Thank you for that. Those meant so much to us. And so just to encourage you listeners, after everything was tallied, not only did we reach our goal of $100,000, uh, that matching campaign, but we blew past it. In total, we raised uh, we raised over $130,000. So, of course, that was matched. So in total, $230,000. Amazing. Amazing. We are just so thankful. And listen... Uh, we're excited to see, and, and we just would ask, please pray with us. We're excited to see how God is going to continue to use this ministry to further the gospel across Canada, help us to those ends, and we look forward to seeing what God will continue to do through this ministry in 2021. Now, Troy, you're you're a part of that, man. As I said, we have been prayerfully looking for who would be our next partner in this ministry and help us to to move forward. And we just felt very clearly the Lord's leading with our relationship. And so we're looking forward to seeing you being a part of the, the AC team and the AC podcast. And so we felt like to kind of kick things off, we just, we need to introduce you to people today. And so we want to take a moment to introduce you by sharing your story now, some people actually might be like, who's this Troy guy? Because they're, they're actually more used to knowing you by, I guess you would say, the stage name yeah, of yeah. Scribe. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. How did you get the stage name Scribe? And you've actually been in rap uh, in music for, for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started doing music. It would have been 2008, 2009. And it initially kind of just started as a, as a dare, you know. I was living in California at the time. I was a student athlete playing at a junior college out in California. And, you know, just getting kind of immersed into that life. It was my first time living away from home. And my faith was more or less my parents. And and so it was, it was definitely a, a time of discovery for me. When things started to really change for me was when I got injured and I wasn't able to play. I was having an issue with my knee and it really put into perspective what I said that it defined me, what I said I loved, even some of the people I considered friends. It put all those things into perspective for me when I wasn't able to play and all those things started to fade away. And, you know, in my wrestle of going through, you know, a period of depression, I really felt the Lord saying, if you want to, you want to talk to me in a way that only you can, you feel you can relay it, do it through art. So it started as poetry and I would do, I'd make these little videos when Facebook pages were pretty much brand new and I would just do poetry over, at the time I had cut up clips of like an old Newsboys track that was just the instrumental and uh, like super emotional and <laughs> those sorts of things. And, uh, but, a, but a friend of mine 
heard it and was like, hey, this is kind of like rap, you know? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be a rapper. Like, everyone I know is a rapper. Like, I don't need to do all that. Um, they're like, no, just try. And so I, I ended up trying. And it got attention back home in Regina, Saskatchewan, where like, which is where I grew up. And someone said, hey, when you come home, I'd like to produce your first track. I was like, what? Like, this was all right. And so that's really how it started. But in those beginning stages, I'm like, okay, what's a rap name? Uh, so I initially went by Troy Wonders. I was went as Boy Wonders at one point. <laughs> I was like just trying to come up with something cool. And then eventually it wasn't until I went to Bible college, which is where I went right after uh, my year in California, where I remember walking. I was literally walking to our dorm and I honestly just heard God in my ear say, you're a scribe, you're a scribe. And I was like, what is this? What do you mean? What's a scribe? Like I could understand basically what it meant. I remember going to the library and opening up the Bible and opening up a couple books about the scribes. And I was like, wait a second. Scribes and the Pharisees, they they didn't really have a good <laughs> reputation. But at the very base of it, a scribe was a writer. Well, you know, was someone who wrote on behalf of God, who wrote according to what was going on in the times, wrote on behalf of the people and wrote for the people because not everyone had that ability at the time. And so I was like, wow, you want me to translate what you're saying for the people as an artist, just like a scribe would. And so I started as young scribe, but then I had this revelation one day where I was like, I'm not going to be a young guy forever. So uh, I don't want to be a 60 year old guy. I mean, maybe I'm rapping still at 60, but I don't want to be 60 years old and still have someone call me young scribe. So then the Lord said, all right, just just go by scribe music. And and even with that, going by scribe music didn't put me in a box because I'm a worship leader as well. So I do worship music. I do hip hop. I do R&B. And that just made it a lot more universal. So that's how music started for me. And, and in those periods of times, I've had, uh, you know, some incredible opportunities. And you do spoken word as well. Yeah. Is that something yeah. that just developed as a part of doing rap? That, yeah, that's where, that's where it started. Um, you know, growing up, it was just, it, to me, it was just called poetry. And then there was that season where everyone called it slam poetry and they thought you needed a rain stick and drums to, to do it properly. But that might poetry, be the case. <laughs> it might be, you know, I might, I'm considering bringing it back, honestly. Um, but yeah, poetry was always something I loved. Like I loved when we went through Shakespeare in school and, you know, reading the stories of Macbeth and how just the intricacy of the wordplay, I've always loved poetry. And so it easily translated into rap when it became more patterned and rhythmic. Now, where would somebody go to hear some of your, your music? And are you still producing music? I am. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm available on all music platforms, anywhere that you, you download or, or purchase music. You just got to look up Scribe Music. I'm on Instagram. My artist page is on Instagram, Scribe underscore music. And there's links and links from my website, www.thescribemusic.com. And I'm easy to find. I'm the guy that looks like me. <laughs> I love, by the way, a, a video that you created uh, that it has become, I believe, a commercial, uh, which, <laughs> yeah. which if you haven't seen it, we'll put, we'll post it on the show notes for sure. Absolutely hilarious. Just tell me a little bit about that that vid for people who, who see it. Yes. So this is the, the, the infamous Popeye's commercial. So it literally just started completely innocent, just as a joke between me and my wife. Popeye's had just opened up in Winnipeg and a bunch of my friends and everyone, we were all excited about it because 
it's really good. And and so I had gone the first time with uh, one of my former worship directors back in Winnipeg when I was living there. We had a meeting and he wanted to take me there because it was right close to our church. So I went there. I had it. I came home and I was just raving about it to my wife. And she was like, are you serious? How are you going to go there and not bring some home for me? And so I was like, oh, shoot. So I decided that I would make it a big deal the next time I went there to bring it home. And I'm like, OK, she's not going to get on me this time. So I bought uh, I bought Popeye's. I, I and anyone who knows me knows I could sing about anything like I'll randomly burst into song. That's just that's just how I express my joy. It's just the way it goes. And I told my wife, I'm like, babe, roll the roll the camera. She's like, oh, are you doing a video again? I was like, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Um and I just came up with this song on the spot, just singing about my entire order from the, the chicken to the biscuits to the rice and beans, um, the Cajun fries. ago and two years ago it went viral um i i never thought anything of it i wasn't trying to go viral I wasn't trying to get attention or anything like that i was just trying to make people laugh that's what i love to do and i woke up the next day with like 18 missed calls emails from random people all over the place cbc ct i'm like who what what did i do i got a text message from someone like bro your video has blown up. It went, it's gone viral. It's sitting on Ellen DeGeneres' page right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? What video? Your Popeye's video. My pop, that thing? <laughs> Fast forward to this past January, uh, they contacted me and said, hey, we're running this new series of uh, commercials where we want to highlight the fans, the people who enjoy Popeye's in creative ways. And just so happens that you already have a video that we that came across our table that went viral and we'd love to use a clip of it in our new commercial. So pass some pens, sign some papers, you know, those sorts of things. And next thing you know, I was in a commercial from March till it just the contract just ended December 27th. And it has been a roller coaster. Uh, <laughs> it's been uh Really, really funny, but definitely something to a certain degree where even for me, I'm glad I don't have TV because I've received countless messages about how it was overplayed. And I'm like, that's not up to me. Sorry, guys. 
Oh, man. Well, if you haven't seen it, it, it is uh, hilarious. And I really think showcases just how gifted you are uh, in music. And your music is, is great, man. I mean, that's one of the things that actually got us in first contact with regards to you being at the Apologetics Canada Conference. And as we uh, got to know you and your wife, Jasmine, in fact, then you had one child. Now you have two. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. And how old is your, your newest, by the way? The newest, he is two months as of today, January 6th. Uh, my daughter is three. She she turned three January first, and uh, our son was born November November sixth. So he's now two months as of January sixth today. That's awesome. Happy New Year, listeners! We're excited to announce a special event starting in February called Literary Expedition. This is an opportunity for you to join a community of people as we explore books in their historical context. Some books will be well-known, others obscure. We will launch our first expedition into Abolition of Men by C.S. Lewis. If you want to learn more about this opportunity and or sign up, visit us at apologeticscanada.com forward slash literary dash expedition. Again, the address is apologeticscanada.com forward slash literary dash expedition. And now back to our podcast with Andy and Troy. And one of the things that we, uh, you know, I love about you is not only are, are you incredibly gifted, but but you have uh, an incredible love for the Lord. And I, so I kind of want to, you know, we've we've kind of done a fast forward over your story. I want to I want to rewind, and I want to take a little bit more of a detailed look. Now, Troy, you are originally from Jamaica. Yeah. You were adopted. Tell us a little bit about that, and then let's go back into your university years because particularly with you playing uh, a soccer scholarship, this was a formative moment as, you know, your calling into ministry really took place. So walk me through that, starting with the family you grew up in. Yeah, so I was adopted from Kingston, Jamaica. My official coming to Canada was, I think I was just around a year. I always kind of forget the number, but it was just around a year or just under. Um, So you know, when people talk about it, I'm like, I'm very much Canadian through and through. I know my heritage, love my heritage, and I celebrate it any chance I can. I was raised in a Christian family. My parents are both still pastors at Healing Hearts Ministries in Regina, Saskatchewan. They've been pastoring for as long as I have been alive, as far as I'm concerned. Did and, you have siblings? Um, yeah, and I have one one sister who is the, that I grew up with that was their immediate child. But my family has also adopted, um, you know, We've been the kind of family that adopts people in. Uh, And so I also have a a younger sister who isn't blood. There's no official paperwork, but as far as we're all concerned, that's my sister. And so love her family, got, you know, nieces and nephews from her. And as well as my sister, she's got three kids. So, yeah, growing up in that family was amazing. Like, obviously, I was exposed to the faith very, very early on, you know, train up a child in the way they should go. And so I was the pastor's kid running around, wilding out, um, <laughs> you know, always the one that you could hear doing something or you were suspecting he was doing something when you couldn't hear him. You know, the kind of kid that shows up to church and gets told by another leader that he's in trouble before I've done anything. You know, they just know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everything is just out in the open as a pastor's kid. And, you know, that, that you know, when you fast forward to through my elementary high school and then into college experience, by the time I got to college, it was just this level of, 
I want my own identity. I want to be me. I was tired of being just considered Pastor Bob's son. You know, at the time, I didn't understand the honor that that is, but that was just my process. And so when I got to college, being told I'm the only, you're the only international student on the soccer team and coming in with high expectations, uh, expectations to be a starter and go really, really far. Soccer was all I paid attention to. Soccer was my focus. And God was like, it was my parents' faith. So, you know, as long as I'm under that umbrella, it's mine too. But when I moved out from under that umbrella, even with being connected to a church in California, you start to realize how difficult it is without that accountability and that desire for accountability in your walk to really, to really pursue it yourself and not just to make mom or dad happy back home or put them at ease. So it meant that I wasn't going to church all the time. It meant that I wasn't always attending or even representing Christ the way that the way that I, I've definitely been called to or the way that we have been called to. Christ was more of like a, I was always able to speak Christ over people. But as far as like really applying it for myself, it was more of like, a, I'll bust it out when it suits me or when I'm going through something. And so when you know, when I started going through these different challenges in school and my grades started dropping because of my attention was uh, was elsewhere or whether my play started dropping or my play was doing really well. God was God was kind of like a quick fix manual on the shelf that I pull off when I was in trouble or something. Can I pause you real quick? Yep. Just an interjection here. Uh, I'm wondering in the midst of all that, how does identity play into what you were experiencing you talk about identity, you know, with regards to being a pastor's kid, but what about being adopted? Did that play much into your perspective of of who you were? Absolutely. Growing up adopted, you know, my parents, they there was no ounce of them ever trying to stop me from getting to know my culture or know my background. They wanted me to know as as much about Jamaica as I possibly could about the Caribbean culture. They would take me to Jamaican pavilions and Caribbean pavilions as much as they could. But there was always this side of me that knowing the context of my adoption was I was abandoned on a bench and then I was brought into the care of the government, which ended up putting me in an orphanage. And so what my mind as a young child heard was somebody didn't want me or I wasn't good enough for somebody. Completely disregarding the miracle of me still being given an opportunity to live and so my identity from the get-go was always about proving that I was worth it, trying to prove to people that, hey, I can be the best. I can do this. I can. I don't want to be denied by anyone ever again. I want to be loved by all, which got me into all kinds of toxic relationships and situations. And so definitely, like, it, it definitely challenged my identity all the way along. Is that hard when, you know, you're adopted and you you know you're from Jamaica and you know you're, you're free to go look into you know, your heritage, but realizing that there's just nothing to, to find. It's a, it's a mystery. Yeah. I mean, I think anyone who's been adopted, regardless of the circumstances, there is this side of it of like, man, I would love to know who my biological parents are if that opportunity is there, or I'd love to know my background. Even if they go through a season of denying that and saying, I don't want it, there is this innate thing in in each of us that we want to know our heritage. You know, like I wanted to know who I looked like, like, where did I get my nose from? Where did I get, whose eyes do I have? Why my body shape? Just very practical things. But there is obviously the spiritual side of things where we're, as people are just longing for this understanding of our conception, like what where and why. 
And uh, so that definitely has, has, has played a role in my walk and as, as the Lord has led that. That's been a, an interesting part of my own story, too, that unfolded is <clears throat> I, I was adopted as well, but I was adopted by my stepfather. It's kind of a, a, a long story. But it was interesting for me growing up because I did get to you know meet my father and I, I have interacted with him a, a number of times over the years. But it was weird, you know, because you hear from your mother, you hear from your mother all that she doesn't like about you know her her ex husband, the whole divorce, right? And so it can be very easy as a young man to kind of take that onto yourself that that's your DNA, like that's your father, yeah. like this guy that your mom doesn't like, you know, is. Is part of your identity, right? And that's something that you struggle with. You know, going jumping back into your story here, so sports really became an identity then Big for time. you and the way that people would perceive you and the way you wanted people to perceive you. Yeah. Yeah. I when, when did that come crashing down? It literally was that that window in in California to to Bible college because I went from getting scouted by D1 schools um, in my rookie season, well, rookie and my only season in, in California, you know, finding out that a D1 school was watching me just in my warm-up and were interested in me to then going to a small Bible college in northern Saskatchewan, but still, you know, it's not like I lost my abilities, you know, and then going to a small Bible college and essentially kind of taking it by storm, it really humbles you because you go from... Yeah, uh, you know, everyone's got eyes on you because all the people you grew up playing with, everyone's like, man, Troy's in California. And then finding out that I went to northern Saskatchewan to a Bible college, they're like, Troy's in northern Saskatchewan. <laughs> like, what is <laughs> what is he doing? Like, he he made it. Didn't he make it? And I know for me, right in that season where it started crashing down was because I the Lord really revealed to me. He's like, you have made your abilities and your talents an idol. It's not saying I couldn't have used you in that world, but you didn't allow me to use it. So I gave you over to what you wanted. You wanted to, the recognition, you wanted the fame. And it's just like the word says, I received my just reward. That you got what you wanted. And it just went, went to show you that that, that's not, that wasn't going to sustain me. There was still that empty feeling for me. And over the course of that time, it was still a, still a progression because I did two years uh, a Nippon Bible College took a little bit of time off. Then I went to Providence University out in just outside of Winnipeg, and it's another you know Christian university. And you know I went and I played there, and I did really really well uh, again, and had opportunities to go to Toronto or pl- there was a team in New Orleans that had looked at my record and wanted me to go. But I knew there was just this part of me that I was like, man, I really don't believe that this is where the Lord is calling me, and this is hard. Because you got to remember, music was still there, and I was seeing the direct effects of ministering through music and how that was helping me in my walk, and also how the Lord was using that to affect other people more than soccer ever was. So that really was a part of the mix of you, you know, seeing the impact that you were able to have in people's lives as the Lord was using your gifts and talents. So you have a moment that you you decide that you're going to go to Bible college. I remember you telling me that you, uh, that you applied for Bible college, <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't sure if they were going to accept you or not. Right. It, it was one of those things where in hindsight, I didn't apply for Bible college. I, I said, yes, I'm going. And I showed up because I thought that 
people got denied Bible college. Like I'm sure there are some circumstances <laughs> where people are not allowed to go. But I was, I remember writing out, um, they wanted our statement of faith and our testimony. I was like, you want my testimony over the last year? All right. There's no way I'm getting into this Bible college. It was literally the next day. And like, I'll, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ronald Robinson, who I had barely, barely known. He was, he was friends with my best friend who was going to this Bible college at the time. So I barely knew him. He messaged me and he's like, Hey, I heard you're, heard you're done at, uh, in California. And I'm like, who is this guy? What do you, what? Yeah, I, I guess so. I met you once. This is weird. He's like, come to Bible college. And I'm like, yeah, okay. There's no, like, no, I'm not going to Bible college. He's like, yeah, do it. What are you scared of something? I was like, I'm not scared of nothing. You know, I'm competitive, right? I was like, man, I'm not scared. Whatever, I'll apply. I'm not getting in anyway. But again, little did I know that it is really hard to not get into a Bible college. So. <laughs> oh, man. So then you head off to Bible college. And would you say that those were years in which the Lord really began to to direct you? Yeah, they were they were absolutely uh foreign of years for my faith and even, you know, getting my feet wet in ministry and also revealing to me the things that I was not called to do at the time and thought that I was. Like that's those are some important lessons. Super important. Like I was like, my dad's a pastor and I've done the opening at our church a lot. I know how to preach and this and that and you know, I remember doing one of my first sermons on one of our mission trips actually out in uh, Van- Vancouver. We, our school did a mission trip and we we're serving in East Hastings, helping out with UGM and different ministries. And one of my first sermons was in uh, a drop-in center for a men's and women's shelter. And I did two different services. And for the men's one, preached the sermon and people were like, amen. And, ah! and I was like feeling good, you know, feeling like Bishop T.D. Jakes or something. Just like, ah, yes, I feel amazing. <laughs> And then I went to preach the same sermon to to the women and nothing, just got nothing. And I remember just like, amen. And they were like, it's almost like they're like, no. <laughs> and it was super humbling for me because at that moment, it wasn't like I was like, oh, you're not meant to preach. You're not meant to be a pastor. You're not meant. It was more like the Lord just showing me, Troy, this is more than just standing up at a pulpit and delivering a convicting message. It is a lifestyle. Being a pastor, you know, sermons, you got to preach to yourself before you preach to other people. Amen. And um, that in itself really changed my perspective on ministry. And it really opened me up to really allowing the Lord to, all right, Lord, use me however you want to. And that's where being able to deliver messages in the midst of concerts from an approach that where I already had people's ear, where from an approach that was like, very personable and it made it easier um, for people to digest. So from Bible college, did you head off into your music at that point? Yeah. So I was really starting to do music in between. Um, Nipwin, Nipwin Bible college, shout out Nipwin in, in Saskatchewan. That was when I started doing my first like couple of songs. And, uh, but then when I went to, I moved out to Winnipeg to Providence university, that's when I was able to really start rolling because I had joined at the time I was working with fresh IE and I had joined on with a collective called Kingdom Music. And so that, you know, Fresh Eye really gave me a lot of opportunities to minister and to display my music and display my gifting in sharing his platform. And so then by 2016, we had separated mutually and, you know, was starting to go a different direction with the ministry. Yeah, those, those formative years in Bible college really helped 
ground me in, in my faith and really relearn who I was for Christ. Now, you were living out in Winnipeg at the time, and then now you live out in British Columbia out here in Vancouver. What made that transition? So, while, like I said, in 2016, we made the shift to do start doing ministry, specifically my wife and, and myself, try and go solo, to try and go a little bit of a different direction, because our burdens were, were starting to... Um, be a little we're starting to become different from kingdom music at the time and love what they're doing but it was just time for us to really be obedient in the direction we needed to go but what that kind of led us to was a lack of covering lack of accountability we were serving in two different churches there incredible pastors incredible leadership wonderful people but there was just this thing of like man i don't know what it is we need lord but we just need we just need a specific covering for, you know, scribe music, but also our family. Like, what is our family called to? But I didn't have, I didn't know what that meant at the time. And BC had always been a dream of my wife and I, when we were dating, we were both like, okay, on the count of three, if you could live anywhere, where would it be? We both said BC. <laughs> and I was so pumped. I got to just say something here with regards to that, because you know, I'm from Portland, Oregon. So any any of you U.S. listeners that are tuning in here, this could be uh, difficult to appreciate. But when you come up to Canada, I'm already from the West Coast. So when I came up to British Columbia, British Columbia already felt West Coast to me. But it's it's a gorgeous West Coast. Right. As far as I'm concerned, British Columbia is probably you know one of the top three most beautiful places in the world. Uh, in fact, so much so that uh, I was in Switzerland last year, and I kid you not, when the Swiss would ask me where I was from, and I said, hey, I'm in, living in British Columbia, they'd be like, what are you doing here? We want to be there, and, and there's some serious <laughs> oh, wow. truth to that. I mean, this is a beautiful place. But I got I to gotta tell you, Troy, I had this moment that happened to me, okay? So it's this West Coast American, comes up to Canada, I'm living here. Uh, and as people know my story, I married a Canadian girl, Nancy, and, and I've lived here ever since. And in fact, I've lived in Canada longer than I lived in the U.S. So I had this moment where I flew out east in Canada, you know, and I, I, I remember landing. I was in Toronto or something. I land oh, yeah. and I get out of this the, the airport. And I remember just taking, having this moment where I was like, they can never know. Like, that's the thought that went through my mind. They can never know. And And, and I just was like we have to keep British Columbia a secret. Like, like they, yeah. they, they can never know what's going on on the West coast here. You know, our brothers and sisters across Canada, you know, it's, don't get me wrong. Canada is beautiful. And, and I, we love all yes. our listeners across Canada, but uh, there is definitely some beauty going on here in, in, uh, in BC. Uh, so I can appreciate your desire to, to wanting to come here. By the way, just a, on a side, is your wife is she musical as well? Like, oh, she's she is an incredible singer. She uh, she is a powerful, powerful worship leader. She hasn't done it in a, in a lot of years, especially since we had kids. But I mean, she helps write a number of my songs. Like, she has input on almost every song that gets released in some capacity. So if people look at the credits to my music, it has my wife as ex executive producer or whatever. Um, but yeah, she's she's incredibly talented. Awesome, awesome. So you're in Winnipeg, and, and what leads to you come in out west? Yeah. So like I said, we were we were really wanting at the time we were really wanting covering and accountability. Like my wife and I had this burden to do ministry in such a way that is like 
you know, helping out churches and raising up um, leaders. Like whenever we would go and do an event, it would always turn in some way where we were speaking to the young leaders or, or we were encouraging the pastors with, with whatever God had put on our heart for them. But doing that without a covering, I had started seeing um, the results of that around me, different people getting into different situations and running into trouble, but having nowhere to go, no one to turn to for counsel and really just kind of being left for the wolves, you know? And we we're like, no, we can't do this. Like we have a, a young kid and um, what the Lord has put on us, we don't want to just be easily swept up by mistakes. So we had connected with Terrence Richmond, um, who is the lead pastor along with his wife, Julia, at LoveQuest International. We had connected with them at a conference in Kelowna called Rush Youth Conference. And I had done the Friday night and he had done the Saturday, but I just, I saw this similar call in his life as far as like he was tra traveling around doing ministry with his family, but undeniably, you know, a man of God who was able to speak to areas of our lives and, and encourage us in ways that I had just never, I just never heard or received before. And so we just kept in contact and he kind of be, you know, initially just kind of became a mentor and that I would reach out periodically. And then one day after we had just been serving at a Bible campus, the staff directors, my wife and I, we were just pumped up like, man, Lord, we, this is what we want to do. Well, Lord, send us where we need to go. And so we get on the call with Pastor Terrence and he's just jokingly, but pretty serious was like, you guys should just move out here and help us with this new church plan. Like if you guys are looking to grow and have covering and, and we're looking to build this church out here, why don't you just move here? And we were like, uh, what? Like, oh, no, no, that, that no, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Move to BC. But immediately my mind was like, yes, <laughs> but, <laughs> but practically speaking, it sounded really, you know, like a really big undertaking, but uh, we ended up moving, coming out here for in May for about two and a half weeks to get kind of spy out the land and, and hang out with the pastor and the leadership and get to know the ministry and the heart behind the ministry. And we just two days in, as much as there was a wrestle, we were like, man, this is exactly where we're supposed to be. And the Lord has opened up a door and window for us that when we were able to come, we didn't have to worry about finding our own place right away. We were getting, you know, so that was knocked out of the way. I wasn't going to have to worry about paying rent right away. So me finding it, I would have time to find a job. And so that was not, and the Lord just removed all of our excuses. And now it was just like, just execute. So we went through the process of telling our family and close friends and shed a lot of tears, packed way more than we needed to initially. <laughs> and uh, we headed over here and we've been here for two years now. Oh, that's great. You know, it's interesting when we, I uh, initially reached out to you to begin working with you at the at the conference. We had found out about you through Back to the Bible. They said, "Hey man, you got to check out this guy Scribe and the incredible work that he's doing." So that that's what kind of put us on on track with connecting with you and we thoroughly enjoyed uh working with you at the conference. And like I said, the Lord's just been leading to this point that I I reached out to you uh um, some months ago and said, hey, uh, you know, would you and your wife give some prayer to thinking about joining the Apologize Canada team? And it's been neat to see how God's led in that uh, and that we can we can announce that, that you're coming on with us. But I just want to take a moment to just share with listeners what, you know, because I think it might surprise some listeners that, uh, A, maybe that we would uh, reach out, because I think a lot of people think that apologetics is just this hardcore academic exercise, which first of all is amusing to me because 
that is not how I would have ever have defined myself. I am much of a, of a missionary at heart. So for me, apologetics is all about discipleship. It's all about evangelism. But there is such an interesting aspect of the Christian faith that I am, I believe, so strongly needs to be developed and nurtured. And yes, the, you know, the mind intellectually is one aspect of that, and that gets portrayed you know, through writing books or gets, you know, through sermons or, uh, you know, different means that that gets put put through. But one of the ways that we intellectually engage with culture and with our faith is through the arts. Mm. And for years, that was one of the most intellectual practices of the church. You know, I think about the work of Michelangelo and the work of Raphael and, and others. Uh, it was a real treat to go to the to the Louvre you know last last summer and just see the rich heritage of art the an intellectual art of the heart and the mind that needs to be fostered so you know that's one of the things that really attracted us to 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 working with you uh and the skill sets that you have the that we uh are looking forward to to just seeing God use in ministry. But but what about yourself, Troy? What attracted you to this opportunity? Oh, yeah. Man, I, I have always been someone that I believe the Lord has always given this, this burden to me to make, to look at both sides of the coin without forsaking foundation. You know, these different topics and, and arguments and discussions come up all the time, whether it's in the church or outside of the church. And I've always been the kind of person that I'm like, I step back and I want to hear another opinion. I want to hear another point of view, not just for the sake of argument, but just for the sake of having a greater scope of where we are at as, as a society, whether it's a, or a culture or just humanity in general. And so apologetics from the point of, you know, when we first got to do the the conference, like the the term apologetics, I've heard for years. You know, it was it was probably one of my favorite aspects of studying it in Bible college around Christian ethics and things like that. But when the conference came around and I got to sit back and listen to people that were either extremely learned on paper or people who were incredibly passionate and had been doing whatever it was the field they had been in for years, just sitting back and hearing how those things related to the faith. And how they related to how we, um, how the gospel works within society. Apologetics, all of a sudden, you know, working with you guys, the the notion of getting to work with you guys and be part of those discussions and curating some of those discussions, just, man, it, it intrigued me right away and excited me right away because of my background, because of my, because of my skill set. And the other side of it, very practically, being a person of color, having someone ask me to be in these spaces, I know, yeah, I know there's a lot of people that that blesses. You know, it really does. In the in the realm of ministry in Canada, for a person of color to be asked to to work for for a prestigious organization like Apologetics Canada, um, <laughs> it really speaks to the character of this organization. It speaks to also what the Lord is doing in our nation. And I'm just excited to be a part of that and honored to play any role in opening that door for other people and just being a part of growing what God is doing through apologetics. You know, it's interesting. We're jumping right into the deep end right off the get-go. We, you and I have a conference we're doing uh, at UBC coming up here at the end of the month where together we're going to be talking on racism. It's still here. 
And we're looking forward to addressing these issues and helping Christians think more deeply on these subjects. And so, man, we're uh, we're going to be we're going to be getting after it uh, quick here. Just one last thing, I want to ask you. You know, there's a lot of other great thinkers that have been in this space as well, doing unique work. I think about Lecrae, for example. Uh, is he somebody that you've listened to? Because he brings such a heart mind yeah. to his music. Uh, and, and there's others that do as well. You know, maybe I guess a, a question just to, to end on would be who, who have been some of your inspirations? Oh, man. Yeah. Lecrae from from when I was young, I remember. I mean, I, I initially grew up on the original cross movement group. So like uh, Ambassador, Fanatic, those guys. And they really made made Christianity cool in my mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, obviously, like, I love and honor all the, the CCM artists that I also grew up on. Like, I also grew up on, on Michael W. Smith. I grew up on the Newsboys, like, but a bunch of those guys. And when, you know, artists like Ambassador and then Lecrae came out and I saw them addressing issues within the church and, and in the culture and speaking on theology or, you know, speaking apologetically in a musical form, it really just was like, wow, God, I never knew we could even do this. Because up to that point, my experiences with hip hop, as much as I was listening to it, it was all just about, it was very monetary. It was a very me, me, me. And the fact that these guys were delivering essentially sermons, I remember, you know, Reach Records did a series all about the letters of Paul. They called it 13 letters and every song was about the 13 letters of Paul and what he was addressing, what he's talking about. And it just, it changed my life. Um, and so I've been looking up to those guys for years. So, um, but most recently, like I listened to artists like Lecrae, I listened to artists like Ishan Burgundy. There's a hip hop group out of Portland called Beautiful Eulogy, who are incredible creatives, um, poets and rappers like Propaganda. Um, just these, these people who are very intellectual thinkers, but are also very in tune with the current state of the world and the climate, you know, whether it's systemic racism or it's poverty or whether it's just like un very testimonial and lamenting about their faith and their walk or marriage. It's just, it's really been nice to, to grow up with those artists and at the same time now uh, be to a certain degree doing what they're doing and in those spaces. Awesome. Well, hey, it's great to have you uh, with us. This is, uh, I guess, will be a unique podcast getting to interview you in this way. As you now uh, join the podcast and join our team, you're going to be hearing uh, from Troy lots more in the future. And we're excited about where things are going to go from here. We've got all sorts of projects on uh, the agenda coming up here in 2021. So stay tuned with us. Yeah, we're excited. I would ask that you just keep Troy and his wife Jasmine in prayer for the Lord's favor in that. Thank you, listeners. This is another episode of the AC Podcast. We will come back next week with more things to think about.